Hello, everyone, and welcome to your favorite podcast with your three favorite geniuses, TCU's Three Wise Men, where we give our not-so-genius takes on all things TCU sports and other interesting things around the country. Um, What a week we had. I know you guys did a round ball review a little bit ago where you said we had to make it through, or we would ideally make it through two of our three top ten games we had back-to-back-to-back. We made it through three of our three top 10 games, and the refs stole one of them. But at the end of the day, even with our complaints of the refs and whatnot that get covered last week, we knocked it out of the park this past week and got the two back-to-back top 10 wins. Barrett had even said that he hoped we would get one of the three. We literally got all or all three, but literally got two of the three. It was a fantastic week for the Frogs. TCU has become the team that no one wants to play. But before we get into that, what happened to the women's team? I am legitimately asking because I have no idea. The women's team, um, trying to put this lightly, uh, they I think they flew a bit too close to the sun. And they are currently on a four-game losing streak. Uh, they lost to Oklahoma State, Texas, and Houston this past week. Um, two of them were away. Texas and Houston were away. Texas is a top 10 team. Can't really blame them for losing that one. But losing Sedona Prince, our 6-7 center, kind of ended the uh, hopes of our season. She was the biggest player on the court by a lot, and it made a difference. She, she, we, our entire offense ran through her, and without her on the court, nobody really knows what to do. So we just need to kind of tread water until she's back out there. Yeah, I would say, especially in women's basketball, if you have a dominant center who's just that big and that good, it is so detrimental to your entire team composition to your paint defense, to your offense in the half court when you lose a player like Sedona Prince. So hoping for a swift recovery for her so that we can get these frogs back on track. Well, that's that's good that the fallout's been because of that. Hopefully we do get that back on track as they come. Um, with that being said... We have got some men's basketball to get into. First thing that happened this week was TCU beats number nine, Oklahoma, 80 to 71. I was, uh, I had a, this was Wednesday night, right? I had a meeting about an hour away. So I was kind of in and out. I was listening on the radio on my drive, but I missed a lot of this. Fill me in on our first big, our first top 10 win of the week. Yeah, this game was a bit of a blowout to begin with, and we kind of held the lead the entire game. Um, OU didn't look amazing. They definitely showed their youth in this game, and I think we showed our veterans, um, TCU being one of the oldest teams in the NCAA this year. Uh, We definitely looked like it, and we, we used that kind of veteran leadership, that veteran mindset to kind of dominate an OU team that, earlier in the season had been dominating games and shooting at an incredibly high efficiency. I think they came back down to earth in this game. 
Uh, they they were not shooting the ball incredibly well. Our three point defense was fantastic in this game. They only shot seven of twenty five from deep, with five of those coming in the second half. Um, most of that actually was even from just one player. Um, Odafa Owe was shut down uh, for pretty much the entire game, and he had been one of their leading scorers, shooting like fifty percent from the field, or something ridiculous like that. So I think as a whole. Our perimeter defense really shut down this OU team. We did an okay job rebounding, but we did struggle on the defensive glass. They got a few offensive boards because their guards just like to crash the boards a lot. But as a whole, I thought we looked really good. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, there were like 12 lead changes in the first half, and most of them came within the first 8 to 10 minutes of the game. From there on out, TCU pretty much destroyed them. We led by six at half, finished the game, obviously winning by nine. But in like the last minute of the game, their leading scorer, I don't remember what his name was for this game, he hit two threes to really make it closer than it actually was. And the Kansas game kind of stated that TCU had arrived in conference play, like we played well, we almost beat Kansas, but in the end, it didn't really state anything because we lost uh, on the scoreboard, at least. Um, this game was the, is, is the game that we can confidently say TCU is here in big 12 basketball, blowing out a top 10 team at the time. Barrett and I were talking a little bit before we both don't think that they are a top 10 team. They're both kind of punching above their weight um, during non-conference season. Very good team still, obviously. But to beat them by 14 is a really, really good show that our, our players are starting to gel. And the move that Dixon made to start Avery Anderson over Jameer Nelson Jr., might be the move of the season for us. Um, they're bring both still basically playing the same amount of minutes. Yeah, bring both Anderson and Tennyson off the bench into the starting role. Yeah, and having Coles and Nelson on the bench. Granted, Coles has been hurt for the past couple of games, but I think he might actually end up staying there just because of how fantastic Trey Tennyson has been as that kind of shooting guard, as that offensive spark in our team. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that against OU, Trey was non-existent. Mm -hmm. He was like 0 for 7 from the field or something like that. Um, and I, I don't know if Tennyson would have moved into the starting lineup if Coles wasn't injured. So I think that the injury kind of benefited us a little bit. As, it's as, a bit of a Max Duggan, Chandler Morris situation. Yeah, Legendary UNT quarterback, Chandler Morris. <laughs> oh, he's going to do so well there. And then no, he's going to he, sell he so much insurance. to be happy somewhere else. I hope he's the best quarterback that UNT has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, he's going to sell so much insurance once he's done playing football. Well, and – to go back to like this conversation of like we've got four guys who are all starting quality rotating in and out of that starting lineup, 
I think this past three games, really like the past four or five games, if you go back and look at our leading scorers throughout all of them, yeah, Emmanuel Miller's typically our leading scorer. But pretty much across the board, we've got five, six even guys who could easily be the leading scorer any given night. And to have that level of balance across your team and that level of scoring ability where if one guy's not doing well, not shooting well, having an off night like Tennyson did in the OU game, you can still have all those other five guys pick up the slack. And that is so nice to have, especially later on in the seasons once we get to the NCAA tournament. That'll be incredibly, incredibly helpful. Yeah, you were talking about Emmanuel Miller in the OU game. He hit 1,000 points scored at TCU. I believe he had 1,001 points scored after the OU game. He dropped 27. <laughs> season high. What a game. He's. I, I spoke to Connor earlier this season, and I said, Emmanuel Miller always does well in the first 10 minutes of games because he comes out with more energy and is more physical. If he can sustain that 10 minutes – for the whole game, that's what's going to bring him to the next level of player. And I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do it. We'd seen flashes before, but they were just flashes. He has started to do it. He's become a full game player. I think my favorite thing about Emmanuel Miller is he quietly, like very quietly, puts up a bunch of points. You don't necessarily see him putting up a bunch of points. Granted, a lot of it, I think, is coming in transition. He's a good ball handler for a big in transition, he sees the floor well and can space the ball out. Um, but I don't know if it's just me, but like, I feel like he maybe doesn't get the recognition of being how a good as good of a scorer as he is because he's so patient with the ball. Uh, he does a good job of playing to his strengths and not playing outside of himself in those situations, and. I think Micah Peavy is very similar. Jameer Nelson Jr. earlier on in the season was similar. Maybe has trailed off a little bit as we've gotten later on. But I I appreciate that he doesn't try ever try to do too much. Yeah, he knows exactly who he is, and he doesn't stray from that. I remember my – I think it was my senior year – I guess I was at the rec playing some basketball. He had just transferred in and he was there in the rec putting up shots for about an hour and a half, just constantly shooting. I had no clue who he was at the time because I hadn't really looked into our transfers yet. So I was just like, oh, there's that, or there's a really tall guy shooting on the other end of the floor. I wonder who that is. And then I figured it out once the season started, but he, he's just a grinder, man. He play, and, and the other thing is he plays hard the entire game. He's kind of like Kenrich Williams in that he doesn't he's never loud, but he is, gets consistent production night in, night out. Yeah, and honestly, that's more useful than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. If you can consistently get nine, ten points out of four guys, five guys – you can very easily win basketball games. Mm-hmm. And if Coles can get back to how he was playing at the beginning of the season, and we can bring him off the bench to do that, that that would be unreal. Yeah. 
Um, so do, let's let's transition over to the Houston game because I think we okay. yeah. beat the dead horse enough <laughs> for TCU versus OU. But man, beating Houston by one in a home game, crazy game, crazy ending. I, this was a great game. I, first, I would say 10 minutes of the game, both teams looked horrendous. Both teams were playing fantastic defense. The offenses were absolutely terrible and which is funny because there weren't a lot of turnovers to start the game and really not a lot of turnovers in the game as a whole uh, i think both both houston and tcu did a good job of holding on to the ball for the most part just no one could buy a shot defenses were suffocating in this game yeah i think i'm trying to pull it up now i think there were less than 20 turnovers total really in the game yeah, I think Houston had seven and we had nine, maybe. I'm pulling it up right now. I don't, rem- I downloaded the box score, but I don't know where it went. While, while Jacob's pulling that up, uh, I, I think that the refs had a very significant part in this game. Uh, first half of the game, they were entirely in favor of TCU. Houston was playing very aggressive defense and fouls were getting called. And as we entered the second half, I think they leaned a little bit more in favor of Houston. And some of the things that were previously getting called in the first half weren't anymore. Um, And it kind of evened out the game a bit that the fact that we had 29 free throws and we only made 16 of them, which was terrible. But the fact that we had 29 free throws on this game, a lot of that came in the first half, and it kept us in the game. We we ended first half down two, and as a whole, that allowed us to stay with Houston and keep this a close game. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, 15 different times I got a notification from a Instagram chat Jacob and I are in just saying the words free throws and nothing else, because you're exactly right. That did keep us in the game. Yeah. And thank goodness it did. Our first two point field goal came with like five minutes left in the half. It was Xavier Cork tip in off of a offensive rebound. Um, thank goodness we hit threes. We were talking before in another, in another chat, how, there's got to be a game where TCU sprays and prays at the beginning of the game and they go in. This was that game. We shot eight for 15 from three for the game. A TCU team shooting above 50% <laughs> from three-point range is something you never see. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of that can be attributed to Trey Tennyson. He was three for three yeah. from three in the second half. He was playing on four fouls a lot of the game, and obviously – made a big difference. Houston really keyed in on him in the second half specifically. They knew that he was the key to our offense at that time. And Kelvin Sampson, man, he coached his team to basically deny him the ball at all costs. And it didn't matter. He found ways to get open. He he leaked out of transition and got some good shots off. And I think, honestly, he was probably the guy who ended up winning the game for us. Yeah, and it, it you could tell that Houston knew that he was a problem because when he was on the court, he's not he's not the best defender. 
And when he was on the court, they just drove at him every single time, Switch, switched him onto a ball handler, and they drove at him to try and get him out of the game um, with fouls. He did a good and, job slowing three up. Yeah, he did. And there was a couple times when he was straight up and the refs called a foul on him. And But that's, that's just how it goes. Um, there was one time, I think it was right after uh, Shed hit that big three to put Houston up by four with like a minute left. Um, I, I was watching the game and Avery Anderson passed the ball to PV. And PV could not pass it to Trey fast enough. The ball was in his hands for like 0.2 seconds. Everybody on the court knew that the ball was going to go to Trey and Trey was going to shoot. PV just tried to get it to him as fast as possible. And it was like, it was just so funny watching PV catch the ball. It was like hot potato trying to get Trey the ball. And it, it was just hilarious. And Trey knocked down a shot uh, with a dude in his face. Um, but if he can keep playing like this in the big games, he played really well against Kansas. He's now played really well against Houston. He's he's the catalyst to our team playing well. And speaking of three-point shooting, we can't not mention Avery Anderson's step back when he destroyed Shed who's a really good defender, really good guard, maybe one of the best guards in the country, and did like that two-step back that uh, NBA players do and just sunk the three. And, it, yeah, it was nasty. It kind of reminded me of the Desmond Bain three-pointer against Baylor when Bain completely turned around the defender and then knocked down the three. Um. I didn't know what to think when that happened. That was that was when I started to believe that we could really, really win the game. Yeah, I, I think this stretch of games just goes to show that like this Horn Frog team has started to click and they're starting to play together as a team. We've we have a system that works. We have a brand of basketball that we that provides us this identity, a lot of pace. A lot of scoring, high octane, specifically on defense, I would say, just absolutely smothering people and forcing turnovers and running and transition. And the, the, you can tell the guys are bought in. And Jamie Dixon has gotten this group of kind of ragtag guys on some level that really none of them were like big name players throughout their career. We didn't have any massive transfers. Um, but this, this group of guys has, has come together and they've created a team that is going to be difficult to stop. Yeah. And something that really shows that is we had 18 assists on 22 baskets this game, that assist to basket ratio is unheard of. And most of it came in the fast break or came in the half court offense, excuse me because we had eight fast break points this game. We've been known as a fast break team and Connor and I have specifically talked several times about how the recipe to beating us was to slow the game down and don't turn the ball over. I watched the uh, post-game press conference with Eman, Trey and Avery, and they said the past two to three weeks in practice, 
all they've been practicing is half-court offense. And that's starting to show. Houston turned the ball over seven times. We won. Houston has the number one half-court defense in the U.S. We scored 60 points, which honestly isn't a lot for uh, for a basketball game. But it didn't matter because our half-court defense played just as well. Micah Peavy might be the best one-on-one defender in America. He shut down um, OU's best player, and then he held LJ Cryer to like three points. Cryer got nothing on him the whole game. He was the only person who could legitimately guard Shed when he was in the game. Yeah, that what everything you just said really impressed me because I've been really concerned, and I've said it on this podcast probably a half a dozen times that ever since the Clemson game, I've been terrified that every team is going to watch that and know that if you slow down the game and you don't turn it over, it's over. TCU can't do anything. And TCU finally came out and said, we are more than a one trick pony. We can do more than that. And when you slow down the course of play, when you don't turn it over, because Houston didn't turn it over, TCU decided, forget all of that. We're going to win another way. And they showed that they can win without the uh, fast break team attitude that we've had so far. Yeah. And I think to sing the praises of some unsung heroes in this game. And this is the first game that I saw our entire team, specifically our bigs do a fantastic job of boxing out. And we've, we've talked about it previously in a bunch of episodes where like defensive rebounding has been an issue for us in that we kind of rely on our athleticism a bit and see guys out to box them out. This is a Houston team that is top 10 in the country in offensive rebounding. They have some athletes. They like to crash the boards, and we only lost a rebound margin by one and had the same number of offensive rebounds as they did at 14. And so big shout-out to, I would say, specifically Xavier Cork and Ernest Uday. Both of them had a combined 10 points and 12 rebounds, but they also had three blocks. But the guys did a fantastic job of boxing out, using their strengths, using their body to make it difficult for Houston. I thought Cork was fantastic in this game. From the defensive end, he was incredibly good in rotations, he, he was fast through his spots. He recovered quickly. It, he clogged up the lane better than Uday did this game, and I thought Uday was fa- really good in this game as well. So big shout-out to the two bigs. We've we've kind of ragged on them a couple of times in the, in the past, but they, they really did a good job of locking down the paint this game. Yeah, Uday had one of the more athletic offensive plays that I've seen from a TCU big in a long time on uh, one of his baskets he went up and under underneath the basket and had like a reverse layup I don't know how he managed to put it in but I'll take it I think his improvement again it's been relatively slow but it's been steady every game he's gotten better and having three very unique bigs is going to serve us well in the long term with Xavier, who can switch on everything. He's he's small. He's probably the smallest of the three, 
but he's a very quick. Uday, who's big, he's lanky, he'll get in the way. And then Mustafa, who's just the fundamental mastermind. I think when it comes to March, we're going to need all three of them to play and to play well. And so I'm really glad that they're playing well thus far. Yeah, once again, going to show that this TCU team, uh, announcers talk about it all the time, but I think this is really the game that showed that we do have a lot of depth. Um, pretty much everyone has played well at some point in the past three games. And to your point, that's going to be incredibly useful when it comes to March Madness and Ernest Uday gets into foul trouble and we've still got two bigs behind him who are more than serviceable. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, announcers have talked about that all the time, but I've complained about that where I've said, look, it doesn't matter if we have 10 really talented players if they aren't actually doing anything. And they've shown in the last couple of weeks that they've figured out how to click and they are, that depth is something that matters now. We we actually have it and are figuring it out and molding it properly now. I think big thing is people are buying into their roles. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to watch the press conferences after games because it's led by Eman. He's the leader of this team. He is what Eddie Lampkin thought he was when Eddie was here. He is the culture. He, he's the culture king. Um, and watching him, Trey, and Avery talk, it's just uh, like an announcer would say, Trey, you hit four threes tonight. How'd you make that happen? And Trey would go, well, all credit goes to Avery and to Eman and to Jameer. They found me when I was in open spots. All I had to do was make the shots, but they found me. And Eman, they'd ask Eman, what did you see on that last play? Eman was like, well, I saw a lane was open, and I knew that Avery was going to get me the ball in the, in the right spot. It's all credit to everybody else. And that is the that's the hallmark of a great college basketball team. Yeah, my, my favorite part is it's not just credit to everybody else. It's credit to the people who are facilitating the points. They don't yeah. care that whoever puts up the points. They care that the faci- facilitation, the pass to the points is the important part to them. And that's why we are a team that averages a lot of assists. Yeah, as you say, that shows in the stat Jacob brought up, brought up that we had 18 assists to 22 baskets. That's because the assist and the facilitation is what matters as much as the basket to these guys. Yeah. And that's that's that honestly just shows our age and maturity. Because while younger guys coming out of high school, they want the stats, they want the points, they want to go pro. Older guys have the maturity to say, yeah, the stats and the points are going to come when we win winning is what matters. And so I'm really hoping, cause we got four freshmen coming in next year. We're losing a bunch of seniors. I'm hoping that the freshmen on the roster, Posey and Manning really take that attitude into heart. And Uday can really translate that to the next group of guys coming in because winning is what the, the pro scouts are going to see. They're going to see the win, and they're going to look at how you contributed. I mean, look at Kenrich. He's formed a seven, eight-year career in the NBA. And he didn't have the most outlandish college stats. He was a good college player. 
and he contributes in the NBA now. It still breaks my heart, though, that Kenrich is the photo on LeBron's like bajillionth point or something. Kills me every time. I know that's not relevant, but that's all I think of when I think of Kenrich, and I hate that. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I will say, off of both these games, the Houston and the OU game, because OU, a lot of people have said what you guys said, is OU really a top 10 team? And I've been fading Houston largely from the beginning, Um, except for this week where they lost twice. This was the one week I said they'd do well because I have a gift for forcing basketball teams to and football teams to turn against my will. Um, But uh, both of them, I've seen people asking, okay, is TCU good or is OU overrated? Is TCU good or is Houston overrated? The answer to that can be yes. Like, Houston may or may not be the number two team in the country, but them being overrated at number two does not make TCU's win incredibly impressive. OU may not be quite the number nine team in the country, but again, them being number nine at the time we played them and them being still a very impressive team, both of these wins blew me out of the water, even with my lack of faith in those two particular teams. Enough said. Yeah. Do we have anything else on the Houston game, or do we want to move into awards? Yeah, let's get to the awards. All right. You guys put in the real thoughts, so I'll take Murr this week. Who wants to take Golden Player? Barry, go ahead. Oh, I'll take it. Uh, so, Golden Player Award. Normally, we hand this out to one person. We're, we're not going to do that this week. We're not going to hand it out to two people, even. We're not going to hand it out to three people. We're handing it out to four players because that's one less than five he did it and he's still doing it across this entire week uh trey tennyson emmanuel miller avery anderson micah peavy those four guys have been instrumental to our success throughout this week and they've the entire team really has played fantastic in large part due to the success of these four players and so hats off to those guys. At, they've been absolutely killing it. And I'm I'm so excited that we have a team that is able to that we're able to talk about how we have four guys who are really key to us winning games. Yeah. So Frank and Sensational Player, we're gonna give this award to literally everybody else on the team. So that would be Jameer Nelson Jr., Chuck O'Bannon, Mustafa, Uday, Cork, Coles, uh, even the walk-ons, the freshmen who are redshirting. Everybody gets this award because really winning two games against top top 10 opponents back-to-back and really winning three games against top 10 opponents – back-to-back-to-back is something that TCU has done one other time, and I think it was like two years ago, and doesn't happen terribly often. So props to the team this week. All right, and then for the player we want Murr out of, for those of you who can do the basic math or logic there, if the golden player was four particular players, the Frank and sensational player was 
everyone who isn't those four players, you'll notice there is no one left. We are not asking for myrrh out of anyone this week. This week, all of the frogs did everything they were supposed to. There was no one we wanted myrrh out of. And if we played this way every week, we'd be as good as it gets. This was arguably the best week of basketball TCU's ever had. Certainly one of the best weeks TCU's ever had. We want Murr out of literally no one. Everyone showed up big this week. My only Murr vote goes to the refs. <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. Although, yeah. All right, our picks for the week. Um, score update. I have no idea what the score is, but I promise sooner or later I'm going to get it together <laughs> and figure it out. From my loose memory, I think I'm winning by a large margin, but we'll see what the numbers add up to. <laughs> Um, I do want to say, I think I had a perfect pick slate this week. Yeah, I thought you did too, but also my record of the picks for last week didn't save, so I have to go rewatch the episode. <laughs> um, but this week, I grabbed a number of Big 12 games. I think I grabbed like six or seven of them. I grabbed three other games and a mystery game, so we're back to a more normal format, and I don't have all the Big 12 games because in basketball season, it's just too many. So... First, right off the bat, TCU at Cincy. Jacob. I think TCU is going to lose this game. Cincinnati has been playing really well. They just came off of a close loss at Baylor. Um, Cincinnati has had the toughest schedule other than us in the Big 12. They played at BYU, who is ranked number 12, versus number 25, Texas, at Baylor, who is 14. We'll probably be ranked next week, I think. And then they have OU, who will be ranked, and Kansas right after that. So that's six ranked teams in a row. They're going to pull one out. I think it'll be us just because we played so hard against Houston and we'll be tired. And it's a game at home for them. It'll be a big game. All right, Barrett. Give me a much more positive answer than that, please. Uh, I, you guys have heard I'm, I'm high on Cincy. I like them as a team. I think their defense is fantastic. However, their offense is an absolute joke, and they turn the ball over a fair amount. They're very, very sloppy with the ball in their hands. Their, their main offensive player is their starting center. I think that TCU can abuse this offense and force a lot of turnovers, run in transition, and I think TCU comes out on top in this game. But that being said, I do think Cincinnati is a very, very underrated team. I think they beat OU. All right, I'm going with TCU. This this isn't up for debate. We are freaking awesome, and that was the best week ever. TCU is beating (laughs) Cincinnati. Um Next up, we've got Baylor at Kansas State. Jacob. I'm going to take Kansas State here because they're at home. Barrett. Baylor has looked beatable. Again, Cincinnati almost beat them this past weekend. Uh, That being said, I still think that they come out on top. All right. I haven't actually watched that much Baylor or Kansas State. So by default, I'm picking against Baylor. Kansas State's going to win this one. Um, Iowa State at BYU. Jacob? I'm going to take BYU because they're at home. Barrett? This is going to be a fun game. Man, both these teams can score. Uh, Iowa State hasn't 
done so in the past couple of games, but I think they will against a BYU team. Uh, I'm going to take BYU because they're at home as well. I like both those teams a lot. I am feeling high on Iowa State, as is reflected in my in my power rankings that we'll get to. I'm giving this to Iowa State. Uh, UCF at Texas. Jacob. I'm going to take UCF here. Barrett? Um, or yeah. wait, Jacob, you want to? No, I'm going to – I don't think they'll win, but I'm going to take UCF. Barrett? Jacob's taking my mindset, picking them against Kansas, and lo and behold, UCF won. So, uh, UT has not looked that great. They lost to West Virginia. (laughs) Yeah. UCF's (laughs) defense is very, very sound, although I think it is in large part due to their center. So I think this UT team does a better job of spacing out the floor than most teams do. I I think I'm going to pick UT. Well, uh, off of what Jacob just said, they lost to West Virginia. I am very low on UT and I never came in high on UT. So I am, I'm going with UCF here. Uh, Texas Tech at Houston, Jacob. Houston. Barrett. Houston's winning this in a landslide. I'm picking Tech. Houston, I really did think, would start falling apart when they got to the Big 12 gauntlet. Are they losing two straight so far? I'm saying that continues. Um, Granted, I'm going to be wrong because they're at home and better than Tech, but whatever. I'm taking Tech. I'm sorry Texas Tech is going to disappoint you again. (laughs) Texas Tech never fails to disappoint me. (laughs) Um, Iowa State at TCU. I'm going to take TCU in this one. We'll bounce back from the loss midweek. The students are going to be there for the first time in full force. And, man, Schulmeyer is going to be rocking. We might break the record for attendance. I didn't realize the students haven't been there. They were in full force yesterday, and they were not in full force. Yeah. That's insane. Barrett. I think we break through. I think we could break the attendance record on on Saturday. It's very possible, especially if Iowa State's ranked, which, which is also very possible. <laughs> they should be ranked. They beat Houston and then destroyed Oklahoma State. So yeah, uh, which means they had one game this week because destroying Oklahoma State means nothing. Barrett, that is also going to be a very interesting game. I think it's going to come down to our three point defense in all honesty, because this is an Iowa State team that pretty much across the board can shoot it. Um, I think TCU comes out on top precisely because of what Jacob's talking about. That Schulmeyer is going to be rocking, and it's going to be loud. It's going to be proud. Students are going to be back. I think the players are going to ride that high to the promised land. Ken Palm yeah. has the Schulmeyer as the third toughest place to play in the country right now. That's incredible. That's amazing. And we don't even have our students yet. That's amazing. We've yet to lose a game there. so Yeah. Okay, well, I had TCU before I thought about the things you guys have said. So now I'm definitely just, I'm TCU <laughs> like is going to like triple their score or something. No, TCU, absolutely. Um, 
Baylor at Texas. Jacob. I'm going to choose Texas here. You're going to choose what? Oh, Texas? Yeah. All right. Barrett? Uh, I'm going to pick Baylor here. I don't really have a good reason for it. <laughs> in in the Vegas odds, I wasn't able to bet on a natural disaster. Um, <laughs> I, I have... Texas losing to UCF, so they will have lost to West Virginia and UCF. They eventually have to bounce back, and I want Baylor to lose more than I want Texas to lose. So I'm giving this to Texas. Um, last one in the Big 12 before I move on to some others, UCF at Houston. Houston. Barrett? I want to pick them so badly. <laughs> I want to pick them so, so badly. But... I, their offense just isn't good enough. Houston's going to win that game. I'm I'm going with UCF Houston. might not score. <laughs> their offense is bad, bad. If so, Sellers might have five points. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> game, this game could very easily be a 50-something to 40-something game. Yeah. Um, I'm also going with Houston. UCF is going to be riding high after some wins, but they're going to have to fall back to earth eventually. Uh, UCF is not Houston entering the Big 12 gauntlet. It's it going home to the American. Houston is going to kick UCF's teeth in. (laughs) All right. Next up, we have a massive in-state rivalry. Uh, In football, it's arguably one of the top 10 rivalries of the year. It is Idaho, Idaho State. Jacob. (laughs) Classic game. I, you say in football, it's one of the top ten rivalries. Of the well, year. I don't in follow basketball, basketball but yeah, it's one of the top ten rivalries of the year. I, I would have given it a top three in basketball. All right, fair, honestly. That being said, I'm going to ride with State. Barrett, uh, I'm good friends with Idaho's old quarterback, so let's go Vandals. <laughs> was thoroughly unprepared for that to be Barrett's answer. But I'm very glad it was because I wanted to ride with state schools and you couldn't both pick state and then me pick Idaho if I had to. But you gave me an out. I'm going with Idaho State, running with the state school. Next, we have another another long, well-known rivalry. We've got the Army-Navy game this week. I think College Game Day will be there. Um, Army or Navy, Jacob? I'm gonna take Navy because they have a they have David Robinson. So Barrett. Yeah. Yeah, the Admiral is is a key player here. I um I feel like it's much more likely for Navy guys to be good at basketball because that's about all they can do on a massive ship. So um let's go Navy. All right. My roommate at TCU was an army guy, so go army beat Navy. Um Last but not least, before we get to the mystery game, we've got Detroit Mercy versus a someone who's appeared on this podcast before, powerhouse R- Robert Morris. <laughs> Jacob, uh, I got to go with Detroit Mercy. They have a they have a history of being an electric offense, or really having one electric offensive player. So I'm I'm going to go with them. Barrett. Detroit Mercy will show no mercy to Robert Morris. That poor man will get beaten down again. 
All right. Well, Robert Morris let me down last time, and I never go against a Catholic school, which again, Detroit Mercy sounds like. So <laughs> I'm going with Detroit Mercy. Um, it's either a Catholic not, school or a hospital. It's possible that it's a Catholic hospital that they're playing against. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Lastly, it is a Catholic school. Uh, I have a sixth sense for these things. <laughs> um, last but not least, we have got the mystery game. XL picked for me. I'm going with team one. Jacob, who do you have? Team one. Barrett? I'll, you I'll can't ask who won last time because I have no idea. I have no <laughs> recollection whatsoever. <laughs> I'll, I'll start it off again with team two. All right. All right, with that, I think we've hit all our picks for the week. And starting early in those picks for the week, we talked about what we thought might happen with the TCU-Cincy game. Let us hear more about that. We play Cincinnati, who's one and two. Um, do we play them Tuesday? Yeah, we play them Tuesday night. Tuesday. All right, what's going to happen Tuesday night, boys? I think that it's going to be a tough game. But I think this is going to be a tough game. Cincinnati's a good team. They're better defensively than they are offensively. They've shot 34.6% from three this season, which is not bad. But that's more from the beginning of the season. Recently, they've really cooled off. They average 11.2 turnovers per game, which, again, isn't bad. Not great. Um, you'll see the difference between them and Iowa State in a minute. Um, and then they shoot 68.1% from the free throw line with, as a team, which is just not good. Um, we talked about how difficult this, the beginning of their schedule is. It's awful. I don't envy it in in the slightest. And we had a really tough beginning to the season. But that's just the Big 12 this year. Um, they did beat my BYU Cougars away 71-60, um, to 60, so a double-digit win on the road, which was impressive, and then followed it up with two really close losses to Texas and Baylor. So I think it'll be a good game. It'll be physical game um, because of their best player, who is Victor Locken. He is a 6'11 center from Russia. He's, he's averaging 13.6 points per game, 7.7 .7 rebounds per game, both of which lead the team. 54% from the field, 33% from three. So the guy can shoot. He averages 2.4 threes per game. Uh, he's he's the key to their team. The guy is an absolute force on the offensive boards. We have to do a good job of boxing him out this game if we're going to keep Cincinnati from getting secondary possessions. But as a whole, like Jacob said, this is a team that shot well to begin the season, hasn't shot well previously. I think they're a criminally underrated team right now just based because of their schedule has been insanely difficult and will continue to be insanely difficult. Um, as a whole, though, Lockin's going to be the key here. If we can get him into early foul trouble, it'll be it'll make it a lot easier for this Frog team to get boards and run in transition. I think as a whole... They only average 11 turnovers per game, but watching them play, they're not necessarily very calm with the ball in their hands. 
Um, they play a little out of control at times. And so I think that is something that TCU's defense can take advantage of in this game. I recognize that Russia and uh, Slovakia are different places, but just reading the name, I see no difference between him and Vladimir Brodzianski. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it'll be a classic Cold War matchup here. You know, Ernest Uday, who, resoundingly American, against <laughs> against Victor Locken, who is resoundingly Russian. Yeah, he even spells Victor with a K and a T. Yes, very much. That's, how you, know, <laughs> yeah, that's how you know that he rides bears during the summer. <laughs> Okay, but knowing that, keeping that in mind... Oh, wait, they already lost to Baylor. I was going to make a joke there, but that doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) It's casual. All right, anything else for Cincy? No, this will be a tough game. All right. Both these will be. We've got another game coming up. We play Iowa State on Saturday. Like Jacob said, that'll be our first game with the student section in full force back at the Schulmeyer. Uh, it'll be, I mean, obviously Tuesday, the students will be back on campus, but it'll be a Tuesday night. This will be the first Saturday that we've got all the students back on campus. We're expecting a lot from the frog army. What, uh, what do we expect from the Iowa state game? Yeah. Iowa state has a very comparable schedule to us besides Oklahoma state, but they've played both Oklahoma and Houston. Um, so that's something we can look at. They lost to Oklahoma. 63 to 71, which bodes well for us. And they beat Houston at home 57 to 53. This is a team that kind of averaged like 80 something points in the non-conference schedule. And since the non-conference schedule, that's really dipped off. They put up a lot of points against Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State is like a glorified AAC team. So I don't know that Oklahoma State would cut it in the AAC. That's that's fair. They're from the from the Southlands Conference. Then, <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're a good three point shooting team. Thirty five percent. Again, that's taken a hit recently, but they can shoot it. They average ten point six turnovers per game, so a bit less than Cincy. But they take care of the ball. They're smart players. They shoot 70.6% from the free throw line. They're not a great rebounding team. They only average 36 rebounds a game. And that's really because they don't have size. They're very small. We need Uday and Cork and Mustafa to eat this game. Uday showed that he could against small teams against AM Commerce. He showed that, and Kevin Samuel never did. So that's what gives me the hope that Uday can against a much better small team in Iowa State. And there's really one guy who runs this team, and that is... Taman Lipsy. He's their point guard. He's a six-foot guard. 15 points a game, leads the team. Five and a half boards, five and a half assists, which also leads the team on assists. Um, 46.5% from the field, 38% from three, only 67% from the free throw line, so not a great free throw shooter. He's their best player. He's the leader of their offense. Everything runs through him. I will say as a whole, though, this team, like Jacob said, they're small, but they all can space the floor. So that'll be a 
count for this TCU team. I think that Xavier Cork will get a lot of minutes in this game just because he's his ability to guard out on the perimeter is a little bit better than Ernest Uday. But this, again, is going to be a tough matchup. I think the stats, if you look at it as a whole, are very comparable to Cincinnati. But I think that Cincinnati played above their ability maybe a bit to begin this season and have trended back to earth. Whereas Iowa State, I think, played more at their ability and has trended downwards in the past couple of games. And so I think that realistically, they're a much better team than the stats compared to Cincinnati. But again, tough matchup. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of lied. There is one more player who I do want to mention very briefly, and that's Trey King. He's their center. He's 6'6", so not big. And he's the only one who can't space the floor. Shoots 21% from three. But he's a really important player to them because he's a hustle guy. And he's a fifth-year senior, plays basketball hard. And we saw against Houston, Jawan Roberts, their best player, who was their best player in the game, he was the same way. Didn't score a lot, but he was a really big hustle guy. He did all the little things. He gave us fits. Trey King is somebody we need to watch out for. Well, with all that in mind, we, we've now learned that TCU is going to handily beat Iowa State and Cincinnati because we're the best team in the country. Do we want to get into the power rankings? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Have, I called it. We have a, uh, a really big switch up from the last time we did power rankings, which was granted a very long time ago because we didn't get, get to them last week. But there is not one team who is in the same position as they were. I guess it would, it would have been early, beginning of December, mid-December. But uh, we have TCU claiming their spot at the top of the power rankings, number one in the Big 12. Followed by Houston, Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas, Oklahoma, BYU, Texas Tech, Cincinnati, UCF, Kansas State, Texas, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State finishing them off. They're so poor, bad. Poor Cowboys. Um, the th- this is a this was a very interesting week to look at power rankings because you have Connor who ranks with his heart and not his head, Barrett who ranks with his head. And me, who's a little bit in between. And I think I was the deciding vote between Houston and TCU at the, at the first spot. And I ended up putting TCU in first because they beat Houston one head-to-head. And ultimately, they should probably be 3-0 and in conference against three top 10 teams. Right now, I don't think there's a team playing better than TCU in the Big 12. I yeah. uh, I am open to being less of a homer when TCU gives me a reason to. But this week, they've given me no reason to. This week, TCU, even Jeremiah Adi tweeted it himself that he counted three wins in these last three games. We are 3-0 and entering conference play. I refuse any stat that tells me otherwise. But even if you were to look at it as 2-1, we had a remarkably impressive performance in Foghallam Fieldhouse. We, there is not one team I do not think TCU can beat. And there are many teams I think TCU could comfortably beat. 
if we start playing worse, then I'll allow that ranking to fall a little bit. But for the time being, if you watched this week of basketball, I don't know how you could walk away with TCU not be. I mean, we were monsters this week, and I've never been more proud of TCU basketball. Yeah, I think for me, like, and in, in my own rankings, I actually still have Houston and Kansas at one and two, and then followed by TCU, ISU, and Baylor. So TCU and Iowa State jumping up those rankings, uh, OU sinking down, UT sinking down significantly. Um, but I think while I still have Houston and Kansas at one and two, Houston and I would not want to play again. They're a phenomenal team. And I think we got honestly pretty lucky beating them. Uh, Kansas, I would be happy to play them again because I think we would beat them. The the gap bet- between Houston and Kansas and everyone else that we had been talking about previously has significantly closed uh, with this past week. And I think if you look back at all the games for the Big 12 for this week, it really goes to show that the top 12 teams really in the Big 12 can all compete for any of those spots realistically. And so that really goes to show the depth of the Big 12. And I will be very, very excited to see how just how many of these teams make it into the turning field when yeah. it comes to Selection Sunday. At West Virginia and Oklahoma State are both terrible. Oklahoma State is marginally more terrible within West Virginia. But as a whole, the Big 12 is incredibly deep this year. The announcers say it a lot, and I think every team not named Iowa State who was playing Oklahoma State learned on Saturday that every Big 12 game is a March Madness game. Like, it is a gauntlet is an understatement in this league. I mean, even Texas lost to West Virginia. West Virginia is not good. I, I do appreciate that West Virginia is so bad that all of our votes reflected Texas's loss so heavily that Texas fell like eight spots, <laughs> but still stayed above West Virginia. <laughs> so Texas and West Virginia actually tied in the amount of points because Barrett had them above K- Kansas State as well. And both Connor and I had them at 13 out of 14 because of their <laughs> loss to West Virginia. And Barrett brought them up. Um, to be tied, and because they were ahead of West Virginia in the past, I just kept them ahead of West Virginia. Uh, but really, they, man, the Longhorns have to figure something out on the inside, or they don't have to. I mean, I'd be completely fine with them not. But <laughs> there, to your point, twelve so- spots. Um, I don't think so because with with Texas's loss to West Virginia, I think that that means there are eleven teams who can slide. <laughs> I'm ready to rule Texas out. I, I will also say there's something to be said that even me being the absolute hater that I am and Jacob describing himself as somewhere in between his head and his heart here, even the two of us couldn't put Texas at 14. Even we had to leave <laughs> Oklahoma State below that. <laughs> They're just so bad. But yeah, I like the rankings this week. Go Frogs. I love them this week. I hope other than number one, they change as radically next week. Yeah, these are the only power rankings that matter. So, 
Unironically, yes. I 100% agree with that. <laughs> Last thing we really have to talk about is Quadrant Tracker. So we now have two Quad 1 wins. We are 2-3 and three in Quad 1, and I think 4-0 and oh in Quad 3, and 7-0 and oh in Quad 4 which those two are last two are very important. We don't have any bad losses. Um, our loss to losses to Clemson and Nevada, neither are in danger of falling out of quad one status. Um, Nevada would be closer, but because it was a neutral court, neither are really in danger. Um, the Cincinnati game this week, Cincinnati is ranked 32nd. Uh, in the net rankings and in Ken Palm, and that makes them a quad one away game. Iowa State is ranked net in the net at 10 and in Ken Palm at 13, which makes them at home a quad one game. So two more quad one games this week. If we go 2-0, and that will give us four quad one wins. We'll be at four and three and probably ranked inside the top 10. Dear and Lord, I think after, after this week, right, with two quad one wins, I think we are now safely in Joe Lenardi's next team out. Uh, if we get two more quad win wins this coming week, we'll we'll definitely be the first team out for sure. Either that or the or the last four in. <laughs> Hopefully, by the time people are listening to this, we are a AP top twenty five team. I guess this probably will come out a little before that, but not much before it. Um, I've never been more proud of the frogs and I hope I can say the same thing next week. Thank you everyone for listening to your favorite three geniuses. Give our not so genius takes on all things TCU sports and other interesting things around the country. Uh, make sure to follow TCU's three wise men on Twitter. All of us pitch in a little, but Jacob does a particularly good job over there and you're missing quality content. If you aren't following it, Otherwise, thank you all so much and go Frogs.